What I really need is to take all of the money I possibly can and to be focused and disciplined and put that into cash flowing safe investments until I can get that number to say that I no longer have to do any anything that I don't want to do and I can live very small. And at that point, you'll make another choice. You'll either say life will become the life that I want to have, having the experiences I want to have, or I want more comfort. And if you want more comfort, then you can go and work more money and invest it inside of the real estate or whatever is going to be your safe cash flowing investments because you decided that you want to drive a Mercedes instead of a Honda. But the choice wasn't, I don't want to go to work today. I feel bad about whatever I'm going to do. No, every day turns into it's, it's a gift because every day you actually have a real choice. Whereas right now, until you get there, you don't have a real choice. The choice that you're telling yourself inside of your head is I still have to go do it. Hello, it's the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here with straightforward short-term rentals where we gill attorney, broker in some type of conference room today. You look very legal and official with a chandelier on your head. I just had to go a little bit more traditional today than the law firm atmosphere, um, which might be suited to what we're talking about a bit today. We're going to address some of the frequently asked questions that we get a lot about are you know structuring your properties? Do you need an LLC? What that entails, and this should be a good listen to somebody who's just getting into the investment space, or somebody's further along in a little bit more advanced. So we went right to the legal source. Uh, we have our guest Scott Royal Smith on the podcast. Scott is the CEO and founder of Royal Legal Solutions. Before we hit record, we learned that Scott is in Florida on a yoga retreat. Did I get that right? Yeah, it's like an advanced meditation retreat. I'll create yoga. Wow. How many attorneys are doing this kind of thing? That does not sound like an attorney thing to do. No, it's like what happens after you like are able to retire off of your real estate investing, and then you still have your business because it gives you something interesting to think about and work on and help people. And all you have left is like, what is the quality of your life? Mm-hmm. And like, then that it just becomes of getting into weird stuff like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro or like getting more into meditation or learning how to cook. Because you're like, I'm here and I got yeah. a lot of years here. So I get to figure out a way to enjoy this thing. Boom. There you go. That that's that's why we're doing all this stuff in the first place, right? You know, it's not just asset protection to protect those assets and to protect yourself and your family. It's to have more time for yourself and to do cool things like are, have you hiked Mount Kilimanjaro? Yeah. 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 I, those are like those are all like real things that I've done. And it's like, uh, but the asset protection is so important because I had a friend of mine who lost over $3 million from a single lawsuit and he had the umbrella insurance. He was really well insured. But what he didn't know is that umbrella, all the insurances, they only protect against like really basic stuff like fraud or an accident, like called negligence. So he had a deal that went sideways on him and then there was a lawsuit. And then he's like, well, I went to my insurance company and they're like, they weren't going to protect, they're like, we don't protect you against this, this kind of issue, a breach of contract or the statement that you made. And then all of a sudden, he's $3 million poor uh, because of it. And that's what the asset protection is so important because once we become free, it's important that we stay free. And this is what this is why your investment strategy is important. Your asset protection is important. Your tax savings is important because that's the game. The game is how quickly can we become free? And after we're free, how do we make sure that we never go back? 
Rory, whenever we talk to attorneys that specialize in this, uh, I, I swear I, I'm just like taking tons of notes and I have the fear of God in me that we're doing everything wrong. Like, help, help me out, Rory. Well, I mean, it's also an interesting space because everybody we've spoken to has a little bit different perspective um, with this. And you're actually answering one of the questions that I had for you right out of the gate. And that's the value of insurance and the value of umbrella insurance more specifically, because I think that's an important part of the asset protection plan as something that I always advocate, but you're coming up right out of the gate with um, some limitations about using the insurance approach. Yeah. And you always want to have good insurance in place, right? I'm a huge advocate for insurance and having good umbrella insurance, but mainly because I want the insurance company to handle all of the nuisance types of lawsuits that can pop up, right? That's what they're really good at is settling out claims. And then I get umbrella insurance because I'm hoping that they're going to settle out even the more expensive claims. But at some point, an insurance company's business model takes over because their job is to collect premiums and deny coverage, especially when coverage gets expensive. I know this because I used to sue insurance companies back as my first job as being a litigator. And so you have to understand that it's all just one big business and you use the insurance policies and the umbrella policies to get them to pay higher claims. But if they get high enough, you'll be stuck having to defend yourself. And in that situation, that's where you need some type of asset protection in place. The use of LLCs, series LLCs, anonymity trusts, and those, those types of tools to make sure that even in your very worst case scenario, you still lose little to nothing. I know. I have a lot of questions about like the specific ways to protect your assets, but I kind of want to start at the beginning here. If somebody's just getting into to real estate investing, when should they start their asset protection plan? Yeah, so... The right answer to that, I bet you've heard from other attorneys, is like, oh, it's at this dollar amount. And I don't think that's right. I think what it really is, is like, do you have stuff if you lost it, it'd make you cry. I think that's honestly the right threshold because that's what you're really saying. I mean, at some level, all of this stuff that you have, it's really only worth protecting if you care about if you lose it. And if you care about whether you lose it, then you should probably spend some money to build a castle or a wall around it, just like we've done for hundreds of thousands of years when we cared about losing stuff, to make sure that if somebody comes to attack you, they can't take it, right? And then among that, it's like, well, how high does my wall need to be? How many walls do I need? Do I need towers on this wall? All right, well, that depends upon like what kind of assets do you have, what the values of those assets are, and thinking in that way. So you, I, my personal opinion is I've never met anybody that didn't care about losing their primary residence and their car and their money in their bank account. They say you probably should have at least an asset holding company that's at least a single LLC. And then I haven't met anybody in this game either who said, I don't care about my credit score. As they say, well, my credit score is how I get access to capital. Well, you probably need a totally separate LLC to be your operating company. It doesn't own anything, but it does everything for you. It's not for anybody sues you, they can't take any of your stuff. And if they sue you, their cause of action is just going to be against an operating company, not against you personally, where they're going to tank your credit score. Right? Some really basic defense will hedge off on most all of the risks. One of the first controversies that people walk into kind of as they go through the progression of investing is about having things in their name. Um, because a lot of the first purchases that people make will be in their personal names, whether they want to or not, because that's where the most opportune lending options are. 
if the lender is requiring you that you put it in your name, how can you still start to build some asset protection um, around those properties if an LLC is precluded? Yeah. So what you do is, is you, um, if you're living everywhere outside of California, what you want to do is to set up a series LLC in a state like Delaware, Texas, Nevada, or Wyoming that has charging order protection. Most people don't know about charging order protection, but what that is is if like I sue Rory, I can't take his ownership interest in his LLC. Now, a lot of, in a lot of states, even in most states, there's no charging order protection. So you want to make sure to set up your LLC in a state that has charging order protection. It's Delaware, Texas, Nevada, or Wyoming. Then the next thing you want to do is, is say, um, I want a series LLC. Why do you want a series LLC? Because a series LLC allows you to create one LLC with one bank account, one AA number, one tax return, one set of accounting books, one entity to maintain. But then you can create an infinite number of a child series for free. And each one of the child series acts for liability purposes, just like an LLC. So essentially, you create one company and then you can create an infinite number of companies for free after that. Every state has to recognize the series LLC laws, just like we form a Delaware LLC and use it everywhere else in the United States. It's the exact same protections that allow us to form a series LLC in Delaware or somewhere else and use that everywhere in the United States. After we're able to create an infinite number of child series, what we want to do is, is create a land trust and have a single land trust that is owned by an individual child series of the series LLC. And then we're going to move the property into the land trust. So we have the parent series LLC at the top. Underneath that, we have child series A. Underneath child series A, we have land trust A. And under land trust A, we have property A. And what we did is we signed a warranty deed to move the property from Rory's personal name into land trust A. And because we did that, we used a warranty deed which preserves your title insurance. And then because it's a transfer into a trust, Rory can now own that property anonymously through the trust. And Garden St. Germain Act, if it's a one to four unit property, they can't accelerate the mortgage. So the game is, is that you use your first 10 conforming loans, you buy those in your personal name, and then transfer them over into the land trust as part and part of your series LLC. Preserves gets you the cheapest financing, uh, allows you to have all the compartmentalization of the assets. So there's a lawsuit against one of the properties, they can't go after any of the other properties. You're owning the asset anonymously, so they can't find out the things that you have to know you're a good target to pay after sue. The company's infinitely scalable for free. It's only one company maintained, one set of accounting books, as long as you have the income and expenses or each of the child series designated inside of your books. And that's the full boat on like how that works. I hope that didn't overload anybody's brain right there. Maybe we'll have to like rewind that and listen to that a couple of times. I'm going to rewind that and listen to that a few times just so that I have the structure right. Across the country, every state is very specific with its own real estate and with its own corporation rules. And a logical place for people to start is just in the state that they're operating. And, you know, we're sitting in Massachusetts, which is never one of the states that's listed with, that has the best corporation laws. But in some ways, it's simpler and cheaper just to do the corporation where you are, because if you're going to operate here and incorporate elsewhere, you still have to pay the fee to register the foreign corporation in Massachusetts. Oh. Does this start to get expensive or am I ex actually your, your finger right there tells me that I'm wrong about something and I'm happy to hear about that. It's like, remember like part of the system here, right? Part of the system here was about using a land trust, right? Well, you're talking about is if I used a foreign corporation, like say that I formed this uh, Texas series LLC, for example, 
and then I'm going to use it in Massachusetts. Well, you're right if I'm using the LLC directly in that other state. Then I have a foreign entity that's operating there. However, if it's a land trust that has title to the piece of real estate and my child series is just the beneficiary of the land trust, all of a sudden my corporation is not operating that other state. So then no foreign entity registrations apply, and then I don't have any of these extra expenses. So underneath this model that we use, Royal Legal Solutions, there's no foreign entity registration requirements. You can operate in any state. You only have the one franchise tax and public information report you have to do to maintain like your Texas entity or Nevada entity or Delaware entity or Wyoming entity, whatever, whatever choice that you want to make on that. So I just wanted to like port that out because that is really important to avoid all of these extra L, like annual maintenance of LLC costs and all the foreign entity registration costs, whatever, because our margins as real estate investors are already pretty thin. So we need things that are scalable, that allow us to be able to scale without increasing costs. And then it needs to be easy enough for us to be able to manage it. Otherwise, it becomes too cost prohibitive to use these advanced systems. Thank you for that clarification, because I know when you do have one or two properties, the cost of doing this is not prohibitive. But when you start to scale up and you get to property six or seven, now you're filing up to six or seven annual reports every single year. I mean, in some states, that can get very expensive in its own right. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's where probably most people, like they'll start with just like a single LLC and they'll say, well, it's not the best, but it's better than nothing. When I tell people, I was like, yeah, taking some action is always better than no action, almost always, right? But the difference between taking some action and taking the right action is usually um, just the difference in having to get better educated, right? So what we did is like I actually spent the last two years building out an entire free course of resources on all of the different asset protection strategies that we have, the tax strategies, the estate planning strategies. We have it all in something called like a vault for people to go like and, and, and study to be able to get educated. Because what I know is that there's no excuse to not get educated, right? People can tell me I don't have the money, right? And that's why I'm not doing something. But if you're like, well, you still don't know what to do and I'm giving you all the information for free, then we need to like, you need to come sit down with Papa on the couch and we need to have a talk about what it is to be an adult and being able to like get to work about like getting educated about what you need to do if you want your future to change. So anyway, I didn't want to, I just wanted to like drop that in real quick as a predecessor there of saying, you know, be careful about just doing something right? Like try to get educated first. It's And then, you know, setting up the entities correctly is important too, but I also think maintaining them is something that people should be educated about um, as well. In case you are sued, you want to be able to prevent that LLC from getting pierced, as they would say. So if you're constantly slushing money around back and forth between your personal account and the LLC, would that open you up to liability or would that just defeat the whole scheme? Yeah. So people ask about that question, right? About what happens moving money moving back and forth quite a bit. And then they're also worried about like, well, are these LLC, are LLCs really just worthless? Because I heard just like any good attorney can, can pierce through it, right? Um, and the answer to those questions is uh, what you need to do is have good accounting records. You can do anything you want if you have the accounting records. Accounting records actually show that you're treating it like a business. And that's what the core is really looking for. You say, well, I'm just a business of like one person what's the difference between me being me versus like this LLC? And I was like, well, those are the way the laws are drafted. The laws state that you as an individual can have an LLC and we're going to treat that LLC like a different person. And he said, well, how do we know that it's like being treated like a business? Well, the accounting records are actually the most indicative. Thing. There's actually a factor test that comes in for us to be able to look at if anybody's trying to pierce the corporate bail. But if you do your annual filings correctly, right? And you have 
uh, your accounting records done to say, you know, if I took money out, it's an owner's distribution. If I put money in, it's a capital contribution, just really basic accounting. And in almost all circumstances, that's going to be sufficient, right? So it's, um, but it all comes down to like a simple, basic, like system and process, which is why you don't want to be in the process. You don't want to be in the business of trying to figure out something from scratch, right? You're always much better off at just plugging into a system and process that runs consistently at the same time for many, many people, right? Uh, and that's the way you can have like additional safety of knowing, hey, I'm going to be, I'm doing it right, you know, because there's lots of eyeballs on it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it sure does. And creating these, you know, separate entities and doing it right from the beginning and doing it in a repeatable way, just like any other system, I think is crucial. There's something that I, uh, you've also mentioned in some of your videos that I also like, and I would want to flag to our listeners, if you also have an active component to your investing, if you run a management company, separate entities for, for those active endeavors as well. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. Each business, like it could be a flipping company is like an active income business. Um, it could be like your side hustle, you know, it could be whatever your, maybe your main business is. We typically will set those up as individual LLCs. Um, and then we'll work with uh, Pete, are in our CPA to be able to talk about, okay, what needs to be the tax advantage structures do we need here? Do we need certain LLCs to be taxed as S-corps? Do we need different types of retirement accounts in here? Do we want to start using some private foundations and stuff like that to do tax shelters? But it's important that each each business uh, stay inside of its own LLC just to make things clean and easy, right? It's not that you can't operate a bunch of different businesses inside of a single LLC, like legally you can, uh, but it's not smart to do as a business owner. You want separate books for each business. And it take me as like 15 years of being an entrepreneur running auto mechanic stores when I was in law school, all the way to doing the multi-million dollar law firm with attorneys and CPAs and stuff working for me. You want to do that. And then if you have assets of the business, remember how we were talking about the series LLC to own your real estate? Well, any assets that you have, if you have like company cars or if you have equipment or something like that, what you should do is make your series LLC the owner of all of those assets and then lease it to your active business. So that way, if somebody sues your active business, you can just shut down that LLC and start up a new one and they can't take any of the assets, right? So you can be back in business the next day. It's just an additional layer of protection. I think you answered my next question, but I just want to call it out specifically. Can you use the series LLC for active um, income as well? The issue is when you start, make, you, my understanding is that the cleanest and easiest way to do it is that all of your active income should follow up through one EIN number, and then all of your passive income should flow up through another EIN number. And that reduces the amount of paperwork that your CPA has to do, which ultimately saves you costs on your tax bill. So this is why you use umbrella companies. They're like all of your individual active businesses may be owned by one umbrella business. It's because it actually has to do with the channeling of, of income through a certain type of income that gets taxed a certain type of way. And otherwise, you end up having to compound the amount of work that your CPS do, which costs you like extra, thousands of extra dollars like a year. But you don't want to mix them, right? So keep your income separated, channeled up through individual umbrella companies, one for passive income and one for active income. Oh my God, a break in the conversation. This is yeah. like where I jump in and, and, and say something stupid. I love sitting back listening. I mean, this is, Rory, this has got to be the first podcast that like, we're going to look at the transcript and I'm going to be the one that talked the least. Um, I love it. I think I think that's the case. Well, because I'm actively listening here, you know, we're kind of setting this up as a legal profession. You know, there are 
we're, we're 50 different states that operate in very different ways. And sometimes we can get very used to operating in the states that we do business. So I'm kind of casting a, a more national look here, and I'm intrigued by some things that I don't use on a regular basis. I don't use a series LLC on a regular basis. So I have a lot of questions and I'm excited to to hear that. And you know, that's you, when you talk about your practice, you say you operate in all 50 states. Part of the reason you're able to off, operate in all 50 states, the fact that we have this solution that you know we can get in these handful of states that you can actually export across the country. Just like in litigation, right? Where you use form selection to choose which kind of court that you want to get into. It's the same thing we're doing here. We're just choosing which state laws are most favorable. And then what we do is we use the full faith and credit clause of the U.S. Constitution that says that each state has to recognize the laws of the other states, just like they use with Delaware entities recognizing dollar entities being used everywhere else in the United States, right? And and this way, what we're able to do is actually come to a streamlined, most efficient, optimized solution for each type of investor class, whether it's single family homes, apartment uh, owners, uh, people that have mixed assets with syndications and whatnot. And that's essentially what Royal Legal Solutions is and me and my team have developed over the last 10 years is the ways are like, what are the, how do we choose which are the, all of the best laws and systems and processes to give us the best protection, the the least amount of like effort, the easiest to maintain, the best tax advantages, the most streamlined operations. So that way the average investor who's worth anywhere between 250K to $10 million is able to operate it on their own. And that's a really hard problem, but it's exactly the only reason we're able to do that is because uh, for exactly what you said, Rory, is because that's how we're um, we approach the the problem. And then, so we're doing a good job here using your plan of creating moats around every single you know investment property that we have. Um, but I think there's also more to it. And if the if you own an entire investment property outright, you had no leverage on it. That's still a, a lot of risk, even confined to that one and uh, one entity. What are some strategies to mitigate risk within uh, one LLC? Oh, you're talking about my buddy Quan. My buddy Quan does not believe in having mortgages. He only believes in owning things in cash. He's a Chinese businessman up in, in New York. He makes so much money and then he owns all these assets. And he was like, I don't know if I want to spend the money on asset protection. And I was like, dude, you're worth $15 million and own everything in your personal name. What are you talking about? Get out of town. You know, our average client is, you know, maybe worth, you know, anywhere between 250 to like 250,000 to like 3 million. But sometimes some of these bigger ones are like all the funnier about just tripping over pennies, relatively speaking. What you want to do for in those types of situations is this is going to sound wild, but it's totally illegal. What you can do is you set up an LLC, have that LLC actually place a note onto your own property, right? Just like as if it's its own lender. Mm-hmm. And now I say, well, let's say my property is worth $800,000. Well, my LLC, they can, will put a note on that property for a million, right? So it's like more than the value of the property. So the property can continue to appreciate. So what happens if somebody sues that property? Like, you know, somebody got on the property, they fell through the staircase because the staircase was rotten. The insurance company said, hey, this is gross negligence. We're not going to cover gross negligence because you should have known somebody could have got hurt here. A person's permanently disabled and they want, you know, $5 million, right? The issue is their lawsuit is going to be against the property owner, right? Your individual trust, your individual child series. But when they look at it to go sue it, they're going to say, well, there's a million dollar note on this property. 
So what happens if they sue? Can you stop them from suing? No, you can't stop them from, from filing the lawsuit. If they want to be dumb, they can be dumb and file a lawsuit. However, even if they win the lawsuit and they foreclose on the asset, the note has to get paid off first. So that means your own mortgage company gets paid off first. You don't need any licensures. You don't need anything to be able to do this. You just have to set up the LLCs and then channel the appropriate money through the appropriate uh, financial institutions and have the right paperwork and have that paperwork secured for the secure lien um, with the county. And, you know, there's some steps in here to bootstrap it to make sure that it's all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, that if it's challenged, it's still technically legal and enforceable. But in that case, then the lawsuit doesn't even happen because at the very beginning of the lawsuit, there's like, well, if we sued, we get nothing. So any of my clients that go through are in the situation where they have significant equity, usually costs about 5K or so to do this process called equity stripping. Depends upon some of the fees that are there in the states to record the mortgages and whatnot. But that's the way they're able to cover off loans. Hey, you know, if I got 250, 500K in equity, I'm willing to spend 5K to make sure that I'm going to have this property, have this property for the long run. And, and that if anybody like tries to, nobody's ever going to try to come after it because there's nothing there that they can, they can get to. Did you get my intake form? I, I just filled it out as we were uh, as we were talking. No, not quite, but uh, that will be a conversation we're going to have tonight. Let's talk a little bit about your business and about Royal Legal Solutions and the work that you've done, the community you've built. Uh, you know, I know that you've been on a number of large uh, podcasts. You do some work with Bigger Pockets. Uh, you have a community on Facebook. You mentioned in there, you know, your typical client, or you work with folks that are worth about two fifty k to three million. I'm sure you have clients of all types, but you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you kind of fit in there, like that might be, you know, you're raising your hand saying, hey, maybe I should be a part of, uh, you know, Scott's community. But talk about the business. What's it been like to uh, to run this firm for almost 10 years? What have you learned? Um, you know, what are some things that you're doing now that you weren't doing earlier? Yeah, I, mean, well, I actually got started in real estate when I was uh, in law school. I bought a transmission and auto repair shop for $10,000 in back taxes. And then rehab the building and the business to flip it so I could graduate from law school without that. I wasn't sleeping a lot for that year and a half, you know, working for the district attorney, going to law school full time and running a business and working on a building. But it was, um, it was neat, man. And, and, and when I went to go start, you know, after law school, I continued to invest in real estate while I was uh, working as an attorney, um, suing insurance companies until so I was making more money doing real estate than I was being a lawyer. And I did this thing where I was like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hit my financial freedom number. And I was like, great. Well, how much do I need to make? And at that time I was like, I only need to have like $65,000 a year, $65,000 a year in passive income. And your boy's set. I'm going to go travel the world. I'm going to go be on beaches. I'm going to have six pack abs and surf every day. I'm going to do whatever that is. Right. But what I found out was, is that after I had the assets to be able to hit the financial freedom numbers, I ran into a whole host of other problems that I was like, I, how do I make sure I don't lose this stuff? So I had to start studying on my own about asset protection. And then I was like, I'm, oh, I'm losing money like on tax. Like I'm overpaying on my taxes and what tax strategies and how does it hit my financial KPIs that I need to go through? And then, well, okay, well, some of these properties I've like depreciated and I need a 1031 to be able to keep my tax right. But what, what about my deal flow, right? How does that work? And then who are the professionals I'm going to use? And then it's all the systems and processes because I was having to coordinate everything because these professionals don't know how to talk to each other. They all disagree with each other about like what the right strategy to do is and yada, yada. So I was actually stuck in the middle having to figure everything out. 
So I had to figure all that out for my own, the systems and processes and the teams and whatever, because I was like, I'm going to go climb mountains and surf. I'm hell-bent on that. That is going to be my lifestyle. I'm not going to let this hold me back from having the life that I want to have. So I did that and then come to find out that a lot of the other people that I meet as they were like looking at the photos of the stuff that I was doing were like, how in the world are you able to do this? This is insane. And I was like, yeah, well, I like I built all this stuff out. I could, you know, I guess I could help you with it, you know? And so um, that was kind of the start of Royal Legal Solutions. As I started to help a few people like locally, um, the team that I was working with started to want to come on full time because of how much work I was funneling to them. Um, then I got on Bigger Pockets episode 109 and just shared like 10 tips. And I didn't even think any like that many people would even care about it. Um, but after I got on that episode, I had like 20 people a day calling me or emailing me on my personal number and email because I didn't think anybody was actually going to reach out to me. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, whatever you want to call it, like higher power of some sort, you know, God, the universe or whatever was like, Hey, this is, it ain't, it ain't like just go, you know, drink coconuts and surf on the, on the beach yet. I still do a lot of that, you know? And listen, mm-hmm. I go down to, I just got from back from Brazil where I was down like in the jungle for a month living with the Yawanawa tribe. Cause that's something I wanted to do. Um, and I built the company in such a way that it has the attorneys, the CPAs, the right people that they don't need me to be able to make everything work because that's, that's what the company's matured to be able to do in the last 10 years. So now I get to come on podcasts like this, basically do whatever I want to do, uh, whatever I want to do it, and then get the benefit of being able to help, uh, help the right kind of people that are interested in, you know, how do I accelerate to financial freedom to get to a lifestyle, uh, that I want to have. Yeah, that's talked about a lot in the podcast world and in the real estate communities. What's interesting and fascinating is you were kind of pulled back in, you know, from that higher power, whatever it was, brought you back into this space saying you need to go teach all these people how to do what you figured out how to do. You put the time and the effort and the work in, in a short period of your life, right? I was taking a look, you graduated law school. Did you go to uh, school in Albany, Georgia yeah, or New York? Albany, Georgia? New York. Yeah. Oh, New York. Oh, you're a New Yorker. Are you a New Yorker? I'm a <laughs> I was actually raised in Texas. Were you really? Okay. But Albany actually gave me a scholarship and I went yep. and visited during the summertime and I was like, this place is beautiful. There's tulips out and everybody is here in the park. I'm definitely going to law school here. And I did not realize that like eight months out of the year is winter. <laughs> no, no. Oh, they snookered you in their summertime there, you know, but yeah, upstate New York is an interesting spot, uh, especially in those cold months. But I was thinking it was Georgia. I didn't realize that would be New York. But yeah, I mean, this was this was you know just ten years ago, basically. So you were cre- able to create all this in this short period of time. That's what's great about the real estate investing world and all the ancillary businesses that are connected to you know helping real estate investors navigate the legal world, navigate the tax world, and the strategies, and and keep the money that they've earned. You know, which is really what the the game is. Is you know not how much can you make, but how much can you keep of what you've made? So that must've been a short period of your life that set you up for hopes to be a long and prosperous life of enjoying what you're doing. Yeah. The, the name of the game as I see it is that life is actually about the same, no matter what, no matter how much money you're making after you make it enough to be able to put clothes on your back and food, then it's just relative levels of, of pretty good, you know? So the question that always comes to my mind with anything that we're doing here is how quickly can we get free? Because once you're free, you can continue to do the exact same thing you're doing now, but your life will dramatically change because the place from which you're making the decision to do it. And that is the entire difference of everything. 
So people are out there right now trying to like make money and trying to do these hustles and then they, they make more money and then they spend more money on stuff they see on Instagram. So that way that they'll get people that will like them and admire them or whatever it is, right? When a reality is if we would all just buckle down and realize to say, eating out is actually not what I need. Going out to like buy fancy clothes and fancy cars isn't actually what I need. What I really need is to take all of the money I possibly can and to be focused and disciplined and put that into cash flowing safe investments until I can get that number to say that I no longer have to do any anything that I don't want to do and I can live very small. And at that point, you'll make another choice. You'll either say life will become the life that I want to have, having the experiences I want to have, or I want more comfort. And if you want more comfort, then you can go and work more money and invest it inside of the real estate or whatever is going to be your safe cash flowing investments because you decided that you want to drive a Mercedes instead of a Honda. But the choice wasn't, I don't want to go to work today. I feel bad about whatever I'm going to do. No, every day turns into it's, it's a gift because every day you actually have a real choice. Whereas right now, until you get there, you don't have a real choice. The choice that you're telling yourself inside of your head is, I still have to go do it. And then quicker you can get to the place where you say, I have a real choice, really, right? Not in some theoretical sense, but I actually have a real choice of what I'm going to go do today. Everything in your life changes and everything becomes beautiful. Life becomes peaceful and it becomes more connected. As we start to wrap up, I do have a big world question also right here. Like, why don't people figure this out? Why are people working so deep in their careers in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s without putting any money toward cash flowing assets. You know, you work with a lot of on, a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, what do they know that the average worker doesn't? And, and a lot of entrepreneurs are all caught in the same game. We're all caught in the same game. The game that's being played is that if I have more stuff on the outside, if I have more cars or nicer cars or nicer clothes or if I look better or whatever, then I'll be happy. And as long as you're still playing that game, that when I buy that thing, or I go on that vacation and take those pictures, that at that point, I'll finally be happy, then you're in a losing game. Because you're constantly going to be consuming more to be able and spending more money and more time chasing, a, chasing the dragon. The moment that you can get it to shift and actually say, no, I don't actually, I don't actually believe anymore Look at the sum total of your experience. How long have you been playing this game? How old are you? Has it? Have you ever gotten there? How insane is it to keep playing the same game? And so shift the game and say, no, no, no. What I'm going to do is do this other thing called, doesn't matter probably how much money I make. What really matters is can I really control my time and what I'm really doing without the expectation of other people having being able to force me to go do things because of whatever, whatever, whatever. And the moment you can make that shift, everything changes. The reason is making that shift scares the shit out of people because it's bucking the entire societal trend of what everybody has told you and everything you see on Instagram is what's important because Grant Cardone and Ellis and I love all these guys, right? And I think they have their place, but everything you're seeing is reinforcing that you need more stuff to feel okay. And it's not true, right? What you need is freedom. And when you have freedom and choice of your time, then you'll feel right. 
Right. People make the mistake of of working for money to live their lives, but they should be working for money to put it toward cash flowing assets that can earn money that could then buy their time back. Not everybody figures this stuff out. You clearly figured this out. We're really starting to figure this out now. A lot of people we network with, you know, have figured this stuff out. But personally, I worked for 25 years. I could tell you the people I used to work with, they have not figured this out. Some of them have. No. But most most of them haven't. And and I, I find that fascinating. What you've gone into kind of in the back half of this podcast is the big old why, the W-H-Y. Why do we do all this stuff? Like, why did you set forward on that journey of asset protection and helping thousands of people do it? Because you're helping them get to the point that you're at right now where you're able to go to a meditation and yoga retreat in Florida and, you know, enjoy your time and kind of get some clarity. Rory. Final questions that we have for Scott before we get to the last three. No, I think we're good. All right. Well, you came out swinging there also. You know, I had two two attorneys in the ring, you know, going back and forth like, uh, you know, two two professionals. And um, boy, I just I just shut up there when you guys have that conversation. Um, all right, Scott, we ask these questions of all of our guests just to get to know each other uh, a little bit better and, uh, and to wrap things up toward the end of the interview. Uh, first one, if you can get on stage for half an hour to talk about any subject in the world, what would that be? Uh, it would be about how do you chain together your your business, your investing, and the importance of your state of being as like a system that synergizes together. Now, all three of those things, when taken together, there's ways that you can get 10 or 100x results. I, I forgot to say it should be with zero preparation. So I'm sure you could do that extemporaneously, right? I currently already teach on all of this. So I have like a group that I teach on inside of Royal Legal Solutions called uh, Royal Life and Leadership, where I teach about all the state of being pieces. And then like I come on podcasts like this and then things in the vault to show everybody, here's how all the business things work and the wealth things work. So it's the most fun game there is, is like how quickly can you dynamically impact somebody's life, right? Mm -hmm. There's really not more, to me, there's not a more fun game out there than finding the new ways to do that. And then how many lives can you impact too? Yeah, and it's just all fun. And, you know, that's all it is. Second question we have, uh, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. You know, it's really funny. You know, I, I think about this sometimes. It's like my just cutting lawns. And back in Houston, Texas, when I was raised as like a kid, and I was cutting lawns during the summertime and putting money away. And I would always just like save all of that money you know, and save it and put it away and put it away. And then by the time I was like in high school, I had like more money than everybody. I was like five figures as like a high schooler because I just saved every dollar that I had like ever made. I didn't realize that that would actually be the the start of what it was to be an investor. And I was like, yeah, you live small, put your money away, get it motivated for you. Because some intuitive level I knew as a kid, I was like, eh, buying a bunch more stuff isn't where it's at. I ain't going to do anything. There's something else this is useful for. I just don't know what it is for yet. It's interesting those things we pick up as, you know, late teens, early teens, single digit people, you know, that sticks with us for the rest of our lives. And and that clearly stuck it with you. Yeah. I think that's where most of it all happens. Yeah. And then I'll, then the rest of this stuff is we're just playing out whatever we learned when we were a kid, unless we're very intentional about look taking hard looks at what it is and then getting it to shift, which mm-hmm. is possible to do, but it takes some effort. Final question. Uh, tell us something that you're listening to or watching or reading these days. Oh, man. Nobody's going to know what this is. But I'm actually listening to the, um, right now, it's like a, a discourse series on the Yoga Sutras of Pantanjali, which is a 5,000-year-old book. 
And in that book, what it is, is these all these yogis, which I didn't know before I started getting into this stuff, all they were doing is like sitting around and asking the big why questions. Like, who am I? What's real? What is my mind? What are my emotions? Um, and what I found is like this whole practice that they were doing was actually just learning how to control their mind, control their emotions, control their focus, and control their state of being. It, it's like the highest level of what people have studied back then. So like all of this, this deep, that what's that that whole book is like about that all these, you know, Indian dudes in robes like now read and, and talk about all the time. That's all they were really trying to do ever. And I'm like, wait, this is actually the entrepreneur's handbook. Because after I know my tactics and strategies of what I need to do in my business, the only other thing that I have is my ability to focus, control my emotions and control my mind. And then that if I can get those to work together, I'm going to be much more effective about making money and creating whatever I want. Are you, are you working that into your book? I know you're, uh, you're writing a book on leadership. Yeah. So I teach on this inside of Royal Life and Leadership, my group as part of Royal Legal Solutions. And then it's also part of my book, uh, the leadership book, The Noble Leadership. Wow. Well, there's a lot to uh, digest right there. I encourage everybody to go back and, and re-listen to this podcast because especially if you're looking for all of those meaty pieces of tax advice and legal information that uh, is not legal advice, we should probably put that disclaimer out there, but you know, is information that should point you toward the right direction. Um, it could be helpful to you and to your business. And perhaps you might want to contact Scott. And if that's the case, Scott, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you, your business, or just say hi? Yeah. So the best thing to do is actually just go, um, if you go to royallegalsolutions.com, up in the top right-hand corner, you're going to see a link for the vault. The vault's going to be where we have hundreds of hours of video instructionals all organized for you, 11 eBooks. Um, everything that I've ever known about any of these subject matters, I potentially put it in the vaults. So that way, if you want to be like, what does Scott think about this thing on tax or asset protection? It's recorded and it's there. Then there's also on the homepage is like the um, video that says it's essentially the overview of how we make people a bunch of money by saving them on taxes and building everything for them and helping them motivate um, things into higher profitable profitable investments and scheduling a time to speak with uh, directly with a paralegal. We don't use any untrained staff. Our full team, you'll only be speaking with like attorneys, paralegals, and CPAs, uh, people that are professionals, real professionals at every touch point um, in, inside of my company. So, um, it's, uh, and all you have to do is go to royallegalsolutions.com, get into the vault to get all the free education, watch the video to see, Hey, does this make sense? And are we a good fit? And then talk to somebody on my paralegal team and, um, start getting some of that initial guidance on maybe what things that you can learn, or, you know, if there's somebody else on the team that makes sense to talk to. Mm -hmm. We'll link all that up in the show notes as well. Tons of great information right here. Um, so thank you for sharing all that, Scott. Uh, Rory, where can people get a hold of you? Um, the easiest way to find me is just go to rorygill.com. And from there, you'll be able to see all the different projects I'm working on, all the different ways I can help you, um, and different ways to get in touch with me directly. And, and Royal does, um, Rory does not have a vault just yet, but you know we'll we'll work on that for, for the component of your business. But Scott, this has been a pleasure to speak with you. We really appreciate all your time today. I know uh, you, you took some time out of uh, you know, what I'm guessing is a very relaxing day uh, in Florida, despite the heat. And, um, you know, thanks so much for all your great words of wisdom today. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you really need some advice on what to do with protection, asset protection, want to learn about mindset, uh, you know, I strongly encourage you to go check out uh, Scott's website. Um, if you want to reach out to me and you have questions about the podcast or want to reach out to the guests and can't get a hold of them or you want to be a guest on this podcast, uh, you can find me, Jason, at nexthometitletown.com. 
Uh, we're up on all the podcast platforms. We're on YouTube as well. We read all your comments and we love five-star reviews. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Rory, thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Susan. Thank